So just to let you know how amazing uh, Valentine's is at my house, I actually bought my wife some pickles. If you know me, that's a big deal. They're the, they actually, they're up at World Market, and uh, they're called Zergut. And so every time we see them, John Warren, my friend, goes, oh, Zergut. Because they're, apparently, but I don't eat pickles, so whatever. Someone gave me this. It wasn't my wife, so I got kind of weirded out, but. So, okay. Um, so, uh, just let you know about softball. Our men's team played on Friday night, and they won 12 to 5. Uh, Jeff, one of the guys, actually hit it off the scoreboard. So, yeah, too bad we didn't. They're always broken. Apparently, it didn't break it that time either. Uh, the co-ed teams, uh, we didn't win, but we didn't lose either because we were rained out, so we didn't play winning. So, you're like, ah, oh! we're okay, we're good. Uh, when we do the snowboarding trip on March 5th, if you go and you sign up, uh, if you have a car and you'd like to drive, you know, write that on there, and then it actually says, you know, number of people you fit in your car. So if it's like two. And be like, nah, we'll just wait for the bigger car because gas is expensive. If you took a baby bottle to uh, help out the Karenet fundraiser, make sure you bring those back uh, if you, this week or next week. But bring them back so we can get that over to Karenet. Uh, we also, I got a couple things. I'm just trying to get these for you. Uh, we, we're doing some more community service work projects for some people, and there's some elderly people in our community that, that don't go to Element, but we would really like to help out. And so there's a sign-up sheet in the back if you'd like to sign up and, and help some of these people out. They they don't have the money to pay other people to do it, and they and they can't get out and do it themselves. And so we want to come alongside them and help them. Uh, let people know they're not forgotten that Jesus loves them because of how we live. So uh, February 27th and March 13th, you can sign up for that in the back and it's not going to be very tough you know take a take a day and help somebody uh and then my last thing before we get going is uh this is really going to embarrass my nephew but yesterday uh he he had his uh, eagle scout ceremony and he's he's an, i don't know what, if you know what that, that's a really big deal and it's really tough to do where is andrew is he near? right there almost made me want to cry i remember when he was such a like just a baby and now he's like all grown up. <laughs> Almost. Why don't you guys stand there? You're reading God's Word. This is Psalm 79, verse 13, and it says... Oh, did you break that? You okay. okay. <laughs> Psalm 79, 13, it says, Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who recount your praise. Uh, with our lips, but also with our lives. And we would make a difference in those around us because how you have called us to live. Amen. Have a seat. We are in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 3 this week. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, you can grab one out of the back. We'd love to give you one. It's free. Take it. Uh, once again, they're not the most expensive Bibles in the world. So if you, if you could take it out in the rain... Put it over your head. Don't do that because it will open up to about this big. Just suck up water. Be like a big sponge and it will never go back down. But you can have one. They're free. They're in the back. If you forgot to bring one, you can also grab one uh, too. So far what you've seen in the book of Ephesians is that God, uh, you see God's intention in human history. That God intends to create a people for himself because he loves his people. And this is seen by the refrain in Ephesians that more than 30 times that we are in Christ. So far, Paul talks about that sin is the problem because it separates people from each other and people from God, but Jesus is the hope. That sin is separated, and yet Jesus in his death and resurrection reconciles us to God and each other, and that is what it means to be the people of God. 
What Paul does today, though, at the beginning of chapter 3, is he starts to step aside from all this, and he reveals his heart. He wants you to know what his heart is actually all about. Uh, You read biographies of Paul and what you will see about his deeds, you'll see his words, but what about his heart? What did he really think? Today you get to see that a little bit. Uh, You see he loves the gospel, he loves Jesus, he loves God's people, and he speaks in dimensions about his ministry, and and what he talks about is what it has actually cost him, what this ministry has cost him. So if you want to become a Christian, don't think you get off any... Uh, easier than Paul. And you're like, oh my, wait, this is how it goes. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 starts like this. For this reason, I, Paul, in case you forgot who is writing the letter from the beginning, apparently. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. The first thing Paul talks about is that he is in jail, that ministry many times is suffering. Now, if you ever go to a Christian conference or something like that and they have all these vendors and stuff because they're all trying to sell you stuff, nobody has a booth that says suffering. Come sign up for suffering. Don't you want some of that? You know, no, nobody signs up for that because we try to put it out of our head. You know, the brochure is always like, oh, you'll be happy and healthy and wealthy and you'll get that girl or that guy and everything will be wonderful. Many times, ministry involves suffering. Paul is talking about the love and the grace of God. He's offering hope to the hopeless. And because of this, he has been oppressed and imprisoned. I will tell you, as a pastor, Paul is a pastor, and for me, this is terrible. I love getting together with you guys on days like this when we corporately come together, all of us. I know there's things that we do on our own outside these walls, but we get to come together you know, a couple times a week, and I love being here when we get to do that. Now, I, vacations bother me a little bit because I don't get to spend time with you. If I'm sick, it really bothers me, not just because I'm sick, but I don't get to spend time with you. Uh, and I know sometimes you're like, no, we love it when you're on vacation. We like it when you're not around so much. But I actually love being here. Paul writes this letter to them because in his absence, he wants them to know his heart. And he tells them he is a prisoner of Christ. He is in jail. And Paul, in jail, he wants them to know that he doesn't doubt God's goodness. He doesn't get bitter or disappointed with God. Paul knows he is where he is because he is under the hand of Jesus. Nero is the emperor at this time, and he also knows Nero is also under the hand of Jesus. And so Paul receives good and what everybody else perceives as bad from the hand of God. To be a Christian doesn't simply mean you get your sins forgiven. It means that we become God's kids. We begin to do a work in His family. God comes along and He interacts with us and He puts us together in that work. And many times it's a personal cost. For Paul, it becomes financial. He is in trouble and in hardship. Many times, you see, he's actually gone hungry. It's physical. He is wasting away from beatings, being left in the open sea, from being laid upon by bandits. And he has emotional strain. He has tons of stress being in jail because he is concerned about God's people. And if we belong to Jesus, we will love what he loves and commit ourselves to what he is committed to. And many times that can and does cost us in money, time, and energy. Many times it will even cost us the affections of our heart because we want this thing. And God's like, I really need this because these people need this thing here. Ephesians chapter 5 says, you know, be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. We need to be imitators of God and that costs us. For me personally, the only way I can relate this is to think about my relationship with my, with my wife. I love being with my wife. There are times I work 12-hour days. Sometimes I get home at 9.30 and she's asleep or she's doing homework. When I actually wrote this message, my wife and I were getting ready to move. Uh, I was up at 6.30. I worked on this message. Then I went to go work on the house we were moving into. Then I went to a computer business I own half of and did some stuff there. Then I went to a t-shirt guy working for some, on some children's stuff. Went to local copies for some baptism certificates. I came here. I did some counseling. Uh, then I uh, busted out like a wall, and James and I built something else, and I vacuumed the floor, and I did all the, some janitor stuff because it's crazy. 
uh, and I worked a little more on this message. I went home and worked a little more, and I got done like about 10, that's like a 15 and a half hour day. And I'm sitting there just going, oh, because I, I, my heart breaks when I can't spend time with my wife. Even if it's as simple as sitting on the couch watching TV. Paul feels this way about his people because he can't be there with them. And he is not concerned about his own condition. He's concerned about God's people and how they're living out this gospel. His heart is reaching out for them. I don't know if you know this, if I told you this before, but I actually pray for you guys every day. Actually, get on my knees and I pray that you would know God better, that you would know your calling, that we would all begin to live in the missional lives that God calls us to. So Paul begins to speak about this. Verse 2, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In, re- in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, says it three times here, is that, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Essentially what this means is that if you belong to Jesus, you will be connected to his people and you'll be concerned about his mission. The Ephesian church is a good church. You guys are a good church, mostly. You're a good church. But the work of the church, it is beyond me. It, it is beyond your elders and your deacons. You are the primary ministers by which the gospel will reach the world in which we live. It, it's, it's your job. It's not, it's not a duty. It's, it's a privilege. And you get to tell people about Jesus by the way you live your life. We are to speak about this mystery. And when mystery is spoken here, it means that God has revealed something. And this is the difference with Christianity and every other religion and every other philosophy is everyone's trying to speculate what God is like. Christianity is God revealing himself. Now, the word mystery or mysteries comes from a Greek word called mysteria. This is actually a reference to rites performed by some pagan cults kind of went like this. Uh, In the Homeric Hymn to Demeter, written in the 7th century B.C., uh, it talks about the goddess Demeter. She's the goddess of grain. And the goddess Demeter, her daughter is kidnapped uh, by Hades or Aedonius. And so she's out looking for her daughter. And so she stumbles into this town called Eleusis. And she comes into the town, and the queen in the town, whose name is Mantinaria, she sees her, welcomes her in, helps her out, does not know that it is Demeter, the goddess. And so in order to repay the queen for all of her kindness, Demeter then takes the queen's son, who is named Demophon, and takes him next to the fire, feeds him the ambrosia and nectar of the gods, so that he will then become immortal. One night the queen sees us and says, what are you doing to my kid? As hopefully most parents would. <laughs> and be like, what are you doing? Okay, and, she goes, what are you? And, and so then Demeter reveals herself and says what she is doing. So when the queen hears this, she says, wow, can we build a sanctuary in your honor, and will you teach us all of these secret rituals, these mysteries? And so Demeter says, okay. So every year, pilgrimages were made from Athens to Eleusis, where these cults would perform these secret rites, these mysteries. Now, these mysteries were kept so secret that even today, we don't even know what took place during them. When classical Greek Christians came along, you know, they were raised in this school of this mystery and understanding what, what all this was. They came in, and they're completely opposed to all such religious secrets. They believe that nothing should be hidden, that everything should be out in the open, and yet they came to call their own rites mysteria because they saw and viewed them with the same exalted awe that many of these pagan people did. And they took a word that was abused and mistreated at a deeper, more profound meaning to it. Mystery, that word, became the word in the Christian East that those in the Christian West would come to call sacrament. Sacrament. The word covers so much more ground than we give it credit for. It's the virgin birth. This is considered a mystery. 
or sacrament because you know what it's been revealed, but there's so much more that we don't know. It rests in the mystery of heaven. A nun or a priest, when they took their vows, was called sacrament and mystery because you hear the vows, but there's so much more that rests in the mystery of God. When a couple got married and they said their vows, you know, you, you saw that, you know it, you hear the vows, but it also rests within heaven. And so there's mystery involved. St. Francis of Assisi, he's like all teenagers, young guy, he runs off living like a, like a crazy nut, and then one day he decides, I am going to follow Jesus. And so his dad goes, no, 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 just go to church, be like everybody else, and just go through the motions. And St. Francis goes, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to fully live for who God calls me to be. And one day in order to show this, because he got in such a fight with his dad about it, is he bears himself naked before the cathedral and his father to show, I am going to give up everything and simply follow Christ. That moment is considered sacrament and mystery. Giotto in, in uh, the Middle Ages makes a painting of that scene and that painting itself was considered sacrament and mystery because something deeper is going on. And when a person gives their life to Christ, the way the, way the sun makes your skin prickle and warm up on a, on a cold day, when a newly married couple makes love for the first time, any moment our hearts are drawn deeper into who Christ is is sacrament and it is mystery. It is known and yet there is so much more. And Paul says the great mystery of God has been made known. His plan, His salvation, the barrier that separates God and people and people and people has been removed. And there's no longer black versus white. There's no longer rich versus poor. There's no longer young versus old. It is God against sin for His people. This is the great mystery. And this mystery reveals that we also become a family by grace and we function as a society. This mystery was unknown, but God made it known through His apostles and His prophets through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and now we get to share in God's work. We are no longer a people who are left in speculation. We get to live in revelation. Our world today lives as if it's stuck in speculation. And our job, is to be able to tell them about Jesus, reveal the mystery, so they no longer live in speculation, but they can live in revelation. And the revealing of this, Paul says, is going to cost you. He goes on, he talks about the cost, and he goes on talking about what this also looks like. Verse 7, he says, I became a servant of this gospel. Now, service is not something that everybody's really into. We all say, oh yeah, I love service. Service is great. But it's not really something we really want. It's not really valued. We live in a service-based economy. We try to obtain enough money to pay others to do things we don't want to do. Mow our lawn, watch our kids, clean our house, fix our cars, make our food. It's not all bad. Okay? It's, but if, when that becomes your only goal, you lose the whole idea of what service is supposed to be. I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love to pay people to do all the things I don't want to do. Uh, I get you know, veggies on my plate. I'd like to go, somebody... Eat the veggies. I'm paying, eat my, you know, or when I got to move, I don't want to pick anything up. I can just, I can pay people just to move me so I, I don't have to do anything. And I, I want, I want a posse. I just want, I want a posse. I want to be like, hey, ho, we're going to help Aaron, you know, hey. But they'd rap for me too because I can't do that either. We, we live in a world that teaches you to try and afford servants. It's like you go to a restaurant, right? You go to a restaurant and you, and you walk in the door, someone greets you, hi, would you like a seat? That's why I'm here. Okay, so, oh, and they take in, they seat you somewhere, and they, here's our menu, look over our stuff. I don't know why they don't do this when I do it. <laughs> Look over our stuff, and you go, and you look it over, and you pick out what you want, and you tell them, they go, okay, and they go run in the kitchen, and they tell some cook, and the cook makes it, and they put it on a plate, and they bring it out to you, and they set it in front of you, and then you eat it, and then you pay for it, and you tip well. You're welcome, waiters and waitresses in the room. And then, and then you get up and you leave and you all your garbage on the table and you leave somebody else to clean it up and you leave. 
our culture encourages us to try and afford servants in everything that we do. But Jesus says, in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Isaiah chapter 40 onward talks about that the Messiah would be a servant. Philippians chapter 2 shows that Jesus came as a servant. God came and served people. That is amazing to me. You know what Jesus does even to this day? He serves. He intercedes for us before the Father as our great high priest. Service is something God's people must learn to relish in because God's kingdom has everything on its head. The weak are strong. Uh, the, The simple confound the wise. We are servants of this gospel just like Paul. We get to tell who Jesus was and what he has done. And you will serve a whole lot of things in your life, but we are called to serve Jesus. If you want to put your effort into something, that's what you put your effort into. He says, verse 7 again, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. I mean, some people have a hard time believing in service. Some people have a really hard time believing in grace, that it is God who first loves us, that we are not worthy, but his love makes us worthy. I got a friend. His name is Daniel. You guys don't know him. It's nobody in this room. It's none of you, so don't be offended. Okay. Uh, so I, I have a friend, and we always get in these little little things back and forth, these little arguments, because he believes it's all about his choice and, and his effort and that he must choose to love God. And it's kind of offensive to him that God might actually choose to love him first. But Paul says everything is by God's grace. Whether we serve or even suffer, we don't have the strength or the wisdom to do it correctly, but God does, and God gives that to us. God enables us to serve because He loves us. It is not duty, it is privilege. God wants us to work with Him so we know Him better. When I'm a kid, I used to do some things with my dad. Uh, My dad would say, let's go fishing. I'm not, I don't really like, I don't have the patience for it. I'm totally ADD. It's like, boom, I didn't catch anything, I'm done. So my dad, I'm like four or five, my dad takes me out. Let's go fishing. And I don't know why he kept taking me out fishing. It's kind of nuts. We go out and I'd lose the pole every time. I'd fall in the water every time. I had the little worms, I'd be like, oh, be free. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're worms are cool. You know, what, what do we do? Stick a hook in it? It's just, my, my dad would take me out to teach me how to drive. He, at five years old, he'd take me to the Oceano Dunes. This is why you don't want to be walking. So I'm five years old, and the only person I ever saw drive with my grandma, and she drives like this. It's because she was like really old. And so I get in my dad's lap, and I go, he goes, what are you doing? I go, that's grandma drives. And he goes, don't drive like your grandma. She wrecked her car. And my dad would like woodwork, and he'd work with metal. And I'd go, oh, and I'd break his tools, and I'd break the wood, I'd break the metal. I was always breaking things. Now, what does my dad do this with me? Because I get to spend time with my dad, and that helps me to know him better. He doesn't put me on his lap and have me drive because I drive so much better than he does. It's that it grows our relationship with each other, knowing your dad. God is out saving and loving and serving people, and he wants his kids out with him doing the same things because we will know him better by living life doing what he does. God isn't just meant to be studied. He's to be lived with. He is the living God. If God just becomes a concept or a system, we totally miss the whole thing. We are servants of this gospel by grace. Verse 8, he says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, and this is not false humility, this is not Paul saying, Oh, say some nice things about me because I've got a low self-esteem. That's not what he's saying. He says, This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This means that we will never find the depths of who Jesus is. I tell you, I read a lot. In the, in the last three months, I've read like 30 books. I read a lot. And the more I learn, the more I realize that I don't know. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I realize how little I actually know. 
we will never be done with Christ. For eternity, we will constantly be stunned in His presence. He says in verse 9, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, for which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. When you recognize what God has done, this begins to spill out in our lives. And you won't be able to help speaking and living this love of God so other people see it in God's intent for our lives. The New Testament was written in what's called Koine Greek. This is not classical Greek. This is the Greek that the people of the day actually spoke, the common people. Jesus comes as a blue-collar laborer, 30 years as a carpenter, because God is connecting normal people, everyday people, plumbers and moms and landscapers, and God is not impressed with people because of the car that they drive or the diploma on the wall or the size of your house. God's objective was to make himself plain and simple so everyone can get it, so no one can be robbed of the dignity of the grace of God. And God does this so you and I have a desire to do the exact same thing to live so his message is plain and speak it. Not like the crazies who are on TV or some of the crazies you run into and say, oh, I'm a Christian, and they're just... I, a couple months ago, I, I talked to this guy. I, I, well, it was really... He's never been back, obviously, because I, I do that to people a lot, apparently. And, so, and, and first minute of the conversation, he's talking about spirit walks and Michael the Archangel, and I'm like, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got out of this. And at the end of it, he was kind of done. I'm like, you know, you're, you're just a little nutty. Paul is the exact opposite. Paul, he's a humble guy. And he talks about the mysteries and reveals everything. It's not like God's given me secret knowledge. It's like God has revealed to me, you are the people of God and you live the life so people know it. And as Paul does this, what he does is he recognizes his sin more and more. I mean, it's not always as you grow closer to Christ, we become more sinful. It's we become more aware of our sin. I'll tell you, I am a terrible person. I really am. Uh, I am. Yes, my wife, I'm a nut. I am really crazy. More than you even think. You know, uh, I, my, my, social, my social skills are terrible. Uh, you know, my, my friend Gene Holmquist sometimes, we're, we're sitting there, we're, I'm talking, and, and I go, hey, Gene, she's all, oh, you're going to talk to me? You don't just need something from me? I can be in a conversation with people, I mean, da, 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 and I'll just click, and, and I'll walk away and do something. My social skills are horrible. It's not you. It's me, okay? If you had a guy tell you that, this is true for me, okay? It's not you. It is. It's, it's me. You know, and, and, and I got all this pride, and I read Scripture, I know all the reasons why I shouldn't have this, but I still do. And the more I understand God's grace, the more how unlike God I see that I am. And what this does, that should keep us as humble people. Christianity should make us anything but self-righteous. It should make us humble. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul speaks about his own sinfulness, and he says he is the least of the apostles. Here in Ephesians 3.8, he says, I am less than the least of all God's people. So it goes from the least of the apostles to the least of God's people. And in 1 Timothy 1.16, he says he is the worst of sinners. It seems like since Paul met Jesus, he's just getting worse and worse. <laughs> it's not that his morality has declined. It's that his awareness has actually increased. He realizes more and more that it is all by grace that he is even saved. That is humility. I mean, this guy who met Jesus wrote the majority of the New Testament. We would say, oh, he's the best. And he says, I'm the worst. I will tell you this, if you want to make the gospel plain, you must be a people who live it and believe it. And believe it. Ministry and this mystery is about serving and suffering and showing. And verse 10 says, His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be, should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so again he makes another reference to our spiritual battle. You know, we, we, are, we live in this world where, where everything is not just 
uh, our enemy is, is not just spiritual, it's, he's also physical. There's, there's a physical evil you will see that is real in the world. Scripture teaches that God created Lucifer and angels. Pride came, Lucifer fell. He thought he could be like God. You see it in Isaiah 14, 14. But instead, he was cast out, taking the third of the angels with him. Now he tries us to, get make, to make war against God, just like he does. We become just like Satan. We go, oh, no, we don't. No, we don't. Not, not, not at all. We all think we're our own gods. When God's will and my will clash, who typically wins? Me. Me. If Scripture and what I think or what I want clashes, who typically wins? Me. I do what I want to do. There are systems out there that hate what God loves and loves what God hates, and Paul calls these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So how do you, as a people, defend yourself in that? He talks more about this in chapter 6 when we get there, but here he simply says, you simply be the people of God. That's what you be. Your life is a sermon. This church is a message of Jesus Christ. If Jesus had not risen, we would not even be here. We are declaring in our lives as God's family that the work of the gospel is actually true. And though there is sin and death, God's plan was not to be thwarted. And when you live your life with God, you may or can be seen as a fool by certain people. Some people may actually mock you. Uh, and some people are really good at it, actually. Sometimes you'll be seen as unhip when you don't do certain things that other people do or maybe do some things that nobody else does. When you begin to live differently than everybody else. When you have simply given your life to Christ. If you love God, you get married, you have kids, and actually raise those kids, holy cow, that's like you're almost declaring war in our current society. We must be a people who see that our money and our time and our sexuality and our life all belong to Christ and how we live should be an adoration of Him instead of exaltation of ourselves. When I meet people who say, I don't believe in God, you know what I want to say to them most of the time? I want to say, you know, come to Element. Check out the people that God has changed and give me some reason, reason other than the gospel that could change these nut jobs into who they are. You know, that's <laughs> me too, not, not just you. We are part of God's plan for the world. We are. And he is making for himself a people, and his plan was to include us in that people. That Christ came and extended himself to us is simply amazing. It is overwhelming, even today, that you are participating in the work of your Father. For me, this is very humbling, uh, on, a, on a personal note, because I get to be one of your pastors. And this is a tremendous honor. Sometimes it, it costs me, uh, you know, and it does, but I wouldn't do, want to do anything else. Because I love you guys. And there are days I come in here and when I talk to you, I just hammer on you for like half an hour and you just get my railing. And there are days I get to talk to you about stuff like this. That you know what? Life is greater and bigger than you could ever imagine. And God calls us to the work of the gospel and it's exciting and it's wonderful and you get to be his kids. God's grace has been good to us. God longs to work through you as his people. I think Paul thinks about this. And he says in verse 12, in him and, through him, in him and through faith in Him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. There's actually a bit of debate about the translation of this verse because it, actually, it can actually be translated as it is because of God's faithfulness that you may approach God with freedom and confidence. I personally believe that we can pray and come to God because of His faithfulness because your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. And God is a faithful God. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it will tell you that God is faithful even when we are faithless. It is because of God's faithfulness that we can put our faith in Him, in the gospel, in living as these faithful people. Mystery and ministry is about speaking, serving, many times suffering. And Paul says it all comes out of time that's spent with the Father. 
God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when anyone steps into that presence and they do not know Him, they will cower in fear. But we have been adopted, and we get to call Him Dad. We get to come to Him as kids come to Him. We're not like enemies before an angry king. We are children that run into the arms of their father. Paul is in jail. He can't be out serving on the Ephesians' behalf. And so at this point in verse 13, he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings. Don't worry about it. He says, these which are for which are your glory. He says, don't worry about my sufferings. I am where I am because of Jesus. I'll tell you this. Time spent with your father will enable you to serve the way he calls you to serve. Time spent with your father will make you able to make it when you suffer for the sake of the gospel. Time spent with your father will enable you to show the power of the gospel. Spending time with your father doing what he does. Serving, loving, pointing to Jesus. God is passionate about his people and his gospel. And you will spend time with him. You will get to know his passion more and more and more. Paul says, don't be discouraged. Yes, there is sin. Yes, there is death. Yes, there is Satan. But don't get discouraged because you have a father. And you get to go to him and speak to him. And he cares about family. And he's committed to his kids. So... We spend time with God by doing the things that He is doing. Serving, loving, pointing to Jesus. But we also spend time with God in prayer. Uh, prayer is, is the word for communication. When we talk to God, we give ourselves to the Father in this way. So what I've done for you guys this week is, is you come take communion. On the communion tables, uh, there's a list of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Something to pray for every day of the week. Hopefully these prayers will grow you closer the Father. If you're on Ailment's prayer list, the, the email prayer list, uh, you'll get this actually this week in your email box. Uh, if you want to be on Ailment's prayer list, you can actually go to my element on ourelement.org, click on my element, go to the prayer section, sign up, and we'll send this to you as well. And what it is, uh, this is something you can pray for every day of the week so you spend a little more time with your Father. Monday, I put it, you, you just thank Him. You thank Him for salvation, for the gifts in your life, for Jesus, your friends, even the crazy ones that like, you're like, they're not really my friends, but they really are. Those guys. Yeah. Tuesday, uh, you confess your sins. You just say, you know, God, this is what I did. And, and you name them. And it's not like, oh, I did some crazy stuff. You say, God, this is what I did. And I need to stop doing this. And, and you throw it out there for them. Wednesday, prayer for your family, your mom, dad, your uncles, your aunts, even the crazy ones you never want to go to on vacation. Those people, pray for them and their salvation. Thursday, you pray for your friends, your Christian and non-Christian friends, your co-workers, your school, your neighborhood in which you live. Friday, pray for leaders. Uh, this is church leaders, world leaders whose decisions will impact your life. Saturday, you pray for your city. Uh, this is the good work that God wants to do through his kids in the city and in your neighborhoods. All of his kids for the hearts of God's people. If you watch the news next Saturday, you know, sit down and go, oh, I see it. Pray for those things that you see on the news. And next Sunday, pray that you'll be strengthened for the work of God that he has called you to do in your life. Grab one and take it with you. Don't leave it on the floor like somebody did this morning over here in first service. We bring all things to the Father. So we will worship God, as I said, through prayer this morning. We will also worship God through song. The band's going to come back up. And as they do, we invite you to sing some of these songs and pray where you're at. We're going to worship God through communion. Uh, communion is where we simply take that cracker uh, that represents Christ's body, which is broken for us. So we break it, and we dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of His blood that was shed for us, so we can be these people who live in this relationship with Him. So we can be the people of God and spend time with our Father. We worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back, and we give simply because God gave so much to us, and giving is part of our worship. And we also worship God through uh, fellowship. Uh, my wife made some cookies this week, and I wasn't allowed to eat them. <laughs> but they're in the back. 
Okay, so you can have some of those and just copy. get to know some other people. And if you are in a small group or you have some friends you meet with, maybe this week you could ask, you know, how are you going to spend some time with your father this week to those people? And maybe that will help you to maybe stay on track with that a little bit. God has been so good to us. He really has. And he is a good father, even if maybe you had one that wasn't so great. God is a good father, and he longs to live life with you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as your people would learn how to live as your kids. God, it is a great honor and privilege that you adopt us into your family, that you make us heirs of your promise. So, Father, this morning, I ask that you would revive our hearts to see you as you truly are and to worship you as you have been revealed to us. God, we thank you that we no longer have to live in speculation, but we get to live in revelation of who you are. And have us be those who live that first and then speak it with our mouths so people can know the hope of you. God, we long for your grace and your goodness, and you have given those to us. Teach us to live as a people of grace and goodness, honoring our great Father and our great King. Amen.